I've talked a lot about the principles behind authoritative parenting, why love and authority are essential, and that there needs to be a balance of both. But how do we do that? And what does that look like? In perhaps her most famous phrase, Charlotte Mason states that parents have three instruments available to us to educate our children. They are an atmosphere, a discipline, and a life. And today we'll discuss the first. You're listening to Simple Wonders, the podcast for parents who want to raise happy, curious, lifelong learners. Hi, I'm your host, Jessica Smith, certified family life educator and mama of three. Join me as we explore simple tools to nurture your child's heart and mind. Atmosphere, discipline, and life. They sound so vague. I think it's important to describe what they mean before we dig deep into each one. I know you're probably tired of hearing this, but... Just a reminder, children are born persons. This is the first principle in Charlotte Mason's philosophy, meaning that they are whole. They have a fully functioning heart, body, mind, and spirit. So each instrument nurtures and educates a different part of the child. Atmosphere encompasses relationships, relationships with people, God, and things, i.e. the heart. Discipline encompasses the body and mind of the child. And life, or living ideas, nurtures the spirit. Today, there are many different kinds of thought when it comes to education. Unschooling, for example, with the idea that children will learn what they need from simply living in the real world. Montessori, which focuses on training the faculties. And there are others, like Waldorf and Thomas Jefferson Education, that prioritize imagination and creativity and living ideas, mostly through liberal arts and reading books. And that's what makes a Charlotte Mason education so unique from other philosophies. It doesn't fit into any one of those styles because she said we need a balance of all three. We need time um, from learning from real life. We need training the body and mind through habits, and we need lots of living ideas through the liberal arts and reading good books. I like to think of education as a three-legged stool. If we, we rely on one of the instruments too much, there is imbalance. If there's one leg that's taller than the others, then it topples over. We need all three for stability and success. From my own experience and research, when children have a difficult time behaving or learning, it's usually for one of these following reasons, all of which are solved by one of the three instruments. First, there is a relationship issue, insecure attachment or power imbalance with an adult, or children do not have a solid relationship with the thing or topic we want them to learn about. Number two, they may lack the skill or habit that is required to meet the adult's expectation. For example, they haven't gained a skill, the skills required to handwrite a whole paragraph, or they haven't gained the habit of attention, which is essential to focus for a 20-minute lesson. And the last is that they may have no desire to learn or behave a certain way. Children have a desire to learn, or they must have a desire to learn, about something or gain a certain character trait before they will put forth an effort to change. 
they must be introduced to good and beautiful ideas, to stories and people who exemplify desirable character traits. These ideas are like food for the mind. Charlotte Mason listed these tools in sequential order. The atmosphere is the foundational tool as it encompasses learning from relationships with people and real life experiences. All people start learning from their environment the moment they are born. When I think of atmosphere, I think of something invisible that surrounds me at all times. I can't see it, but I'm constantly breathing it in and it is becoming a part of me every moment of the day. In her 20 principles, Charlotte explains atmosphere this way. When we say that education is an atmosphere, we do not mean that a child should be isolated in what may be called a child environment, especially adapted and prepared, but that we should take into account the educational value of his natural home environment, both as regards persons and things, and should let him live freely among his proper conditions. It stultifies a child to bring down his world to the child's level. At a homeschool retreat I attended a couple years ago, one of the speakers was asked to explain the reasoning behind his and his wife's decision to homeschool. He said, I believe in the principle of marination. Seeing that he had effectively confused all of us, he continued, According to the principle of marination, a person or thing will passively absorb the flavor of whatever it is surrounded by. I want my children to absorb the flavor, the habits, beliefs, and mannerisms of my wife and myself, not their peers at public school. I cannot think of a better way to explain atmosphere. Our children are passively absorbing the flavors that surround them. There is so much to unwrap with atmosphere as well as the other instruments that I thought I'm just going to do mini episodes and make them a little more bite-sized for you to listen to and instead of making it a really long major podcast there's just going to be I guess mini episodes dedicated to this one instrument. So the first thing we're going to do is talk about the first thing she says, which is we should take into account the educational value of his natural home atmosphere, both as regards persons and things. So today we'll talk about persons, relationships with family members, peers, and even God. 30 years ago, neuroscientists in Italy were studying the brains of macaque monkeys when they accidentally discovered what some psychologists consider the single most important unpublicized story of the decade. And this is completely true because I hadn't heard of it um, until just a couple years ago. And when I tell people about it, many have not heard about this, but there's so many implications for parenting and education. So what was this discovery? Well, the Italian researchers had some nodes in the brains of the monkeys and they were studying neurons. And they found that when the monkey picked up a peanut or another piece of food, uh, some of these neurons, just these specific neurons, would light up in their brain. But when they watched another monkey pick up a peanut, then that same neuron fired. It was as if the monkey was doing the action itself. If you were looking at the two different scans of that monkey's brain, 
the one where he was picking up the peanut and the one where the other monkey was picking up the peanut, they looked identical. And this happened with many different things, putting the peanut in their mouth. There were different neurons that lit up and watching another monkey put it in their mouth those same neurons lit up. They were just different neurons dedicated to different actions. So, how does this relate to humans or translate to humans? Well, researchers have found that humans have mirror systems that work just like the mirror neurons of monkeys. We can't study humans the same way that we studied monkeys and put um, these no nodes or these um, sensors in the brains to look at individual neurons, but we can see systems working in humans' brains. And so when a, when a human does an action and then they watch someone else do the action or even watch a video or look at a picture of someone doing the same action, those neural systems fire as if that person had been doing it. And they've been studying this more and more and found that it extends not only to actions, but to feelings and emotions. So watching someone cry, the mirror systems also fire in your brain as if you were feeling that emotion. So Charlotte Mason was ahead of her day when she said that the first instrument of education is atmosphere because our children are constantly watching the people around them and their brains are being shaped by those actions, feelings, and attitudes that surround them. Their neuron systems are firing off as if they were doing those things. One of my favorite authors and psychologist, Dr. Glenn Latham noted that first we must control our behavior, next we must control the environment of our home. If we have done this, the children will control themselves. As the parent, you set the tone of your home. You are in control of your own behavior, which is a significant factor in whether your home is peaceful and positive or contentious and negative. Your emotions and behavior literally seep into your child and their brain fires off the same neurons as if they had felt or acted in the same way. You teach your children more effectively through your example than from your lectures. One particularly interesting experiment illustrates this fact. Some school-aged children received tokens for winning a game and then were told that they could either keep or donate their winnings to children in poverty. But before deciding, the students watched their teacher decide what she would do with her tokens. When the adult told students to donate the tokens but kept them herself, the children were obviously less likely to be generous. But when she lectured the children on the value of giving and then donated her tokens, children were generous at first, but there was very little impact on their future generosity, which I find super interesting. But when she cut the lecture out completely and simply donated all of her tokens as they watched, the children donated their own tokens and were more generous in later opportunities. Children are experts at reading our facial expressions, attitudes, and other nonverbal cues. In response to the fact that narcissism and apathy are growing steadily among children and teens, Harvard University conducted a study of more than 10,000 diverse middle and high school students across the nation and asked them which values were most important to them. The results were concerning to say the least. 80% of the students chose high achievement or happiness as their top priority, 
and said that the most important task assigned to them by their parents is to, quote, succeed. Only 20% of the students picked the most, the most important task assigned to them as being caring for others. The most concerning part was where they were absorbing these ideas. 80% of teens said that their parents cared more about achievement and happiness than caring for others. Kids were also three times more likely to agree with the statement, my parents are prouder if I get good grades in my class than if I'm a caring community member in class and school. The parents may never have told their children getting good grades is way more important than being kind to others. But children picked up on these cues, the, I guess, atmosphere of the home, that it is more important to do well in school than to care for others because of the things that their parents prioritized, the attitudes and the actions that they gave their attention to. Children picked up on that and internalized it. So if we work hard to have a positive attitude, to exemplify the attitudes and actions we want our children to adopt, does that mean that our children will automatically be peaceful and happy? I wish it were that simple, but it is not. We do not have control over how our children feel or think. However, we do have control over our own behavior and we have control over the environment of our home, both of which significantly affect but do not completely control our children's behavior. I just want to point that out. Our children are still active agents. It's just that we are greatly contributing and making it more likely that our children will um, adopt those behaviors and those ideas and be better people because we are setting that example. Studies have shown that children learn better social skills when in mixed-age classrooms and even more from their parents. Um, their parents' behavior is more influential. So let's talk about how and what children learn from relationships with people. So studies have shown that children learn better, better social skills in mixed-age classrooms and even more from their parents. This is an indisputable fact proven by research, yet most parents still believe the myth that children need to learn social skills from same-age peers. And public schools still separate children by their birth year instead of mixing different ages together. When older children are with younger children, like magic, they feel the need to be more responsible and engage in mature behavior. Older children learn more when they teach the younger children um, like how to read or different math concepts because they just barely learned it. And sometimes children do know how to teach other children better than adults do. They can make it simple um, and more concrete. And younger children look up to the older children and want to join in their activities and conversations so they practice more self-regulation and mature behaviors so that they can fit in with older kids. Charlotte explained it this way. She said, we all know the natural condition under which a child should live, how he shares household ways with his mother, romps with his father, is teased by his brothers and petted by his sisters, is taught by his tumbles, learns self-denial by the baby's needs, 
the delightfulness of furniture by playing at battle and siege with sofa and table, learns veneration for the old by the visits of his great-grandmother, how to live with his equals by the chums he gathers round him, learns intimacy with animals from his dog and cat. There are so many things that children need to learn from people of all ages. Like she said, he learns self-denial because the baby needs his mother. The baby needs to eat. The baby needs to sleep. He learns how to live with his equals by being with his peers. He learns how to tolerate teasing from his brothers and to be pampered and petted by his sisters. He learns so many things from different ages of all different people and even from animals and even from being in the home and playing in with furniture. Learning social and relational skills is a messy long process. Many parents have told me that they couldn't possibly homeschool because they're afraid their children might actually kill each other if they're all if they're together all day. And I have personally had those fears sometimes as well. With all three of my boys, the testosterone and competition gets pretty high in our home. But what I found, as well as many other parents have found, is that after a long day at school, kids are at their worst emotionally and psychologically. They are overstimulated and emotionally exhausted. And since this is only the only time during the weekdays that they have to play and nurture their sibling bonds, of course there will be a lot more negative interactions. But what's interesting is that research shows that the artificial environment of interacting with peers of the same age actually breeds more competition and bullying than the natural environment of mixed ages, young, adults, elderly, teens, all different ages. And here's the thing with family relationships. There will always be more negative interactions as children learn social skills. It's just a messy process, something you cannot avoid. But the important thing is that they are experiencing the positive interactions that build attachment and love. We can't avoid fighting and disagreements, but we can be an example and change the environment so siblings can experience more tender, joyful moments together. And one of those changes is ensuring that the best part of their day is spent together and not just with their peers. So let's talk about relationship with God. Charlotte Mason had an astounding insight into religion and education, one that would later be called her greatest contribution to philosophy and education which is saying a lot because she had a lot of good things to contribute. And this idea is that all knowledge comes from God and is given to us through the Holy Ghost, not just religious things, but all truth and all knowledge. She said that we allow no separation to grow up between the intellectual and spiritual life of children, but teach them that the divine spirit has constant access to their spirits and is their continual helper in all the interests, duties, and joys of life. She had this epiphany while looking at a fresco in a church in Florence, Italy. It shows the Holy Ghost transferring knowledge from God to the greatest minds of all time. Of this epiphany, she said, The Florentine mind believed not only that the seven liberal arts were fully under the direct outpourings of the Holy Ghost, 
but that every fruitful idea, every original conception, whether in Euclid or grammar or music, was a direct inspiration from the Holy Spirit, without any thought at all as to whether the person so inspired named himself by the name of God or recognized whence his inspiration came. In the scriptures, Heavenly Father promised us that by the power of the Holy Ghost ye may know the truth of all things. And what does he mean by all things? In Doctrine and Covenants, he expands on this by saying, of things both in heaven and in the earth and under the earth, things which have been, things which are, things which must shortly come to pass, things which are at home, things which are abroad, the wars and the perplexities of the nations and the judgments which are on the land and a knowledge also of countries and of kingdoms, which translates to astronomy, math, geology, geography, science, history, current events, international affairs, languages, government, laws, and world culture. So pretty much all truth in the universe is available to us through the Holy Spirit. The atmosphere of our home either invites or deters that spirit. I've personally noticed a big difference when the atmosphere of my home is chaotic, busy, and stressed. My children have a hard time learning and understanding. But when it is calm, relaxed, and loving, they are much more likely to understand what I'm teaching them. Now, some may say this is just psychological or emotional, has nothing to do with the spiritual life of children. But I'm with Charlotte Mason in that I believe that the atmosphere of our home greatly contributes to the spiritual ability for our children to learn because the spirit is either there teaching our children and they can, they can recognize those promptings in their mind and in their heart, or it is too chaotic and stressed and their emotions and psyche are very distressed and they cannot recognize the spirit, um, trying to talk to their spirit. Way too often, I feel that I am alone. I, I alone am responsible for educating my children, providing them with all the knowledge of the world, quizzing them to ensure that they retained it, and then lecturing and reproving constantly to make sure that they know they made a mistake. But what Charlotte is saying is that we aren't teaching our children alone. In fact, we aren't really the main teacher at all, or the showman of the universe, as she called it. We are cooperating with the Holy Spirit. He knows our children. He knows their hearts and minds and when they are ready to learn. And he is capable of helping them understand truth and also feel guilt and remorse when they make a wrong choice. Most importantly, he is capable of inspiring and revealing the secrets of the universe from him that created it. Our responsibility is to create an environment or ensure that the environment invites the spirit and to teach our children that they are capable of receiving revelation and how to recognize it. We need to recognize when we need to stop talking and let the spirit take over because we can indeed get in the way of our children forming a relationship with God. So one thing you can do in your home right now is to do this an interesting experiment set up a video camera in your home for just a small portion of the day and watch the overall atmosphere of your home. 
you might want to pick a time when there's a lot of um, sibling rivalry or contention or headbutting and and just see what the atmosphere is like. I've done this before and I was extremely humbled to see that the behavior I most despised in my children was actually a mere image of my own behavior. The way they reacted to their siblings, the way they spoke when asking for a favor, a lot of that was my behavior that they were, that was a mirror image of myself. If you haven't done this experiment, I recommend trying it for a small portion of the day and just see firsthand what your children are absorbing from you. You can find this episode's show notes, as well as more information about this topic on our website, www.simplewonders.org. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing and or rating the podcast, or even better, share it with friends or family. If you'd like to further support our work here, you can donate by clicking the link in our profile. Thank you so much for being here. I can't wait to discuss our next topic. Until then, go out and work some wonders. Wonders.